This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dina Malandraus. Thanks for listening. My name is Paul Makovsky. I'm the Vice President of Design at Metropolis Magazine. In this bonus episode of GSAP Conversations, I am speaking with members of the GSAP Incubator, which is located on the Bowery in Manhattan's Lower East Side and is part of the new museum's New Inc. The Incubator is described as a launchpad for new ideas and projects about architecture, culture, and the city, and is open to recent graduates of Columbia University's Graduate School of Architecture, Planning, and Preservation. This fall, the Incubator welcomes its third generation of members. I am speaking with four of the outgoing members about their work and experience of being here. So Michelle, you want to start? So when we joined the Incubator last year, I would say we were in maybe a early middle stage company. So we were profitable, but we knew that we wanted to grow and needed to grow to continue it. So I think being in an environment where we weren't working in a silo, so we were in kind of a more standard co-working space. Not WeWork, but places like that uh, here in New York. And we really felt like we were just working alone. And so when we got the email through the GSAP alumni uh, newsletter about an incubator, it was almost a no-brainer. It was also very affordable. So that was an added bonus. So the combination of all the factors and being able to uh, interact and sit with other companies and other projects that were in the same category area, but really a wide range of companies and projects. Can you give an example of another incubator participant that you collaborated with or maybe yeah. talk to about your Yeah, business? sure. Actually, there's one ongoing. Um, we're working with a team here that does documentary films, and they've been documenting us for a few months. So going on tours, sitting in on meetings, sitting in on podcasts. So that's that's been interesting. We're not really used to being on camera, but... For them, they just they were just interested in our project. I've spoken at a panel a couple weeks ago uh, run by Prototropic, which is another member here, and we did that at ADO about resiliency and tropical architecture. And I feel like every time I sit with Lauren, I have topic ideas about what we should cover. <laughs> For example, maybe architects that worked in the LGBTQ space that aren't necessarily associated with that. Like, I just had that idea just now. Yeah, you know? no, I like that idea. <laughs> you know, so, or, or covering some of the projects that, that they've executed. And Pika? In a way, I think those connections will be even seen in next year, with next year, so it's going to come out of it. But uh, this fall, I'm, I'm planning a symposium where, where people come and bring their tool for show, so their own tools that they've developed that are interesting, and there's just... Basically, the New Ink is the perfect resource for that. So, so, for example, tools for show, what what would be examples of the tools that they would be bringing? For example, there's been this project at the New Ink called Micro Museums, where they create tiny museums that are mobile on different topics, that, and they installed one actually at the new museum uh, last year and opened it. And that's just stuff I wouldn't know about or I wouldn't have access to them. The other aspect has been, for me, just experience of working in a space like that in terms of you know building building offices because the commission one of the first commissions we had now was actually an office building for a very conservative company in Austria and they were very reluctant to any ideas about working in open spaces and I think having had that experience really helped to argue and I've done some research on office spaces before and uh, I think seeing that in practice 
really influenced me in my thinking about office space. It's also not only in a good way, actually. Also, and you know, I actually find it quite distracting to work here. It's loud. <laughs> uh, I have too many friends here. I want to talk to everyone. I mean, it's also it can also be difficult. <laughs> Sometimes I definitely like to do a portion of my work at home and then come here when I feel more open to you know to not work on such focused things. For example, I couldn't do writing. I think that's the same in any workplace. I'm a journalist and I've never done any writing in my offices or you have to do them after everyone's left. It's definitely an incubator, as we were talking about earlier, that maybe not in the traditional tech sense. There's somewhat of a structure, but quite a loose structure compared to probably other incubator spaces. But I think just by nature of being in a program and being around other projects, for us, it was a real motivator to embark on some of the ideas that we had been mulling about, almost because we sometimes needed to report to Augustine about what's the latest on our project. But also, I think just like feeling that ideas were around us, I think was really helpful. So I would say that both from like a, a number standpoint and also just an idea standpoint, we progressed a lot just in the one year that we were here. And Lauren, for QSpace, how do you see the incubator as helping your organization? I think aside from the institutional legitimacy, the actual space and having meetings in this space, which is supported by the new museum, and you sort of have a space to invite people for meetings in a really nice office space instead of being like, hey, let's meet at this cafe in Brooklyn, and you have an event space also, which we utilized. One of the things we did while here was collaborate with F Architecture, the Feminist Architecture Collaborative, who came out of CCCP and sat right behind us here at the incubator. And we, after the election, created a monthly event with speakers and planned activities and drawing exercises and conversation. And we utilized New Inc. members as well. and just to create a space for conversation about activism and what that meant post-election and what it meant to be a designer and to be an activist. And so having a, a space to kind of start that event series was incredibly helpful and led us to meet a lot of great people. And aside from that kind of collaboration, spirit of collaboration that we felt with that project and others, that you could just post in the Slack group, oh, we we're looking for someone to help us develop, we're developing a queer architecture archive. And within like an hour, Francis reached out and there's just so many amazing people here that have such skill sets that maybe you don't have that you can reach out to and people always wanna help and collaborate. And if they're interested, you know, are interested in your project, I think that was extremely helpful, but also the really rigid structure of, of newing actually having a, a ton of workshops in the beginning to kind of get your legs and think about all the things you need to do to be a legitimate organization, like that like you might need legal advice someday, or you might have intellectual property or thinking about financing and budgeting, that kind of incorporating. stuff. Incorporating. Incorporating all those sorts of things, thinking about how to build a community in a really positive way. I mean, some of that stuff was kind of challenging, but I'm glad we did it all. And then I think now that having someone to check in with was extremely helpful to actually make you progress into your work. And, and what do you think is <laughs> the biggest challenge for your organization as an activist right now? I think probably our biggest challenge, if we're being honest, is funding. 
And that's something that's been helpful being here is that people are sharing a lot of funding opportunities and we have someone kind of on, been, that's been on top of us to uh, actually apply to them and that's been really helpful. Yeah, that's been super precious. For example, the, this future architecture platform that I mentioned before, it's actually a European platform. It was even, the first meeting was in Ljubljana, Slovenia, where I'm from, where I was born. But I wouldn't have heard about it, as simple as that. And actually, Agustin, I think, sent it to us or posted it on our Facebook page or something. And those things, you know, they're just one link, but they can really change. So I just wanted to add to what the incubator kind of gave to us as an organization. I think coming out of architecture school, the sort of classical example of you graduate, you go work for a firm, and this is your value as someone that's just out of architecture school, and it's very low. And I think what the incubator gave us was um, people telling us that that was not true and that we had the potential to actually create something and and grow and that we were deserving of funding and that we could go out and apply and people were super responsive. I think it totally broke the mold of the kind of like, you graduate, you're the lowest on the totem pole, you're like an intern and that you could kind of, you know, start here and there's a place for you to start here and then you could grow your own ideas and business. In many ways, all of you have not taken the traditional path of becoming an, you know, an architect to build something like houses or bigger buildings and you've all taken I don't want to say they're necessarily alternative paths but really like new paths of what architecture can be Chris I feel like I did the most standard path of everyone here where I did I was an intern in that, in that sense but I think I think it's always interesting to see young people graduating from grad school and that's actually a moment where I feel like they have so much value and so much potential and what you're saying is sometimes you go to an internship and that's all like sort of flipped on its head um, and there's something kind of silly about that, where these are actually very talented, exciting people that have a lot to offer. And I think the incubator is a place where that notion is allowed to exist in a really, really nice way. It's hard as a young person to believe that always, but I think as someone who now is a business and I'm looking to hire people, I'm always amazed at how valuable and how much potential people coming out of school have and how little they make at architecture practices <laughs> and how much more I could get out of them in my own business. In terms of using architecture skills for other things, that's kind of exactly what I do every day. The way that I sometimes explain it to people is architects are very good at organizing and controlling large amounts of information, and they do that usually through drawings and lines and renderings. So with my projects, um, we're organizing information, but we're, we'll be delivering a message or helping people find innovation. And instead of making drawings or making presentations or diagrams or other things. So I don't feel that removed from when I was at SOM sort of rearranging apartment layouts to fit more apartments in a particular floor plate. Something on the abstract level always sort of clicked for me anyway. So I see those skills of spatial organization and organization and communication generally being very similar. So for me, that's been a huge advantage when I enter into other projects. As an architect, you're just sort of trained to always be thinking about a bunch of different levels and variables and dimensions all the time. And that becomes very useful in a lot of non-spatial contexts, too. Is research an important part of your practice for yep. all of you? Yeah. 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 And then do you look at your practice as a research problem or is that separate? 
what my my office is is something that we have to talk about often as a group internally. I don't know if you guys do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so talk to me more about that because I'm always fascinated by that. A lot of architects I find are problem solvers for other people, <laughs> but are they necessarily problem solvers for themselves? It's funny this definition outside inside of architecture around orbiting architecture. Um, I think Jesus was a good base, especially my program CCCP, where we all, as def, you know, by definition, were not studying architecture, but something around it. But I actually still feel very much in the middle of it. I feel like I am an architect and I do architecture and I have an architecture firm. So I actually think not so much that we're doing something something outside of architecture, but that architecture is changing or has to change. Mm. So I would actually change the definition of architecture according to what we do rather than the other way around. Yeah, and I think we can like this might be a good thing to disagree on, but I think <laughs> when you're when you're developing a proposal for a client as an architect, generally you're trying to get that client to build a building. Our proposals are driven by a kind of mission or some sort of desire that we have, and we've given up the need for the building to be the vessel for that desire. I want to accomplish a lot of things, and sometimes a building can do those things, but I think with the skills that I have, if I give up the notion of a physical building, then I'm able to do many other kinds of projects. With Untapped Cities, you guys have a lot of goals and things mm-hmm. that you want to do that a building can't accomplish. Right. So you gave that up, in a sense. <laughs> yeah, But when you get sense. back, it's like much... It's, it's still interesting. It's just not literally a building. Yeah. And I think I agree that research remains a fundamental part of everything we do, whether it's more research in a literal sense, like an article needs to be researched, or I think the fact that this is a business that was created out of an idea versus saying we're going to create a business. And so I think constantly we're thinking about how do we redefine publishing? It's almost like we're creating hopefully a new model that goes beyond just publishing about architecture and urbanism, but um, really making it experiential. And But to that extent, I think because I have an architecture and urban planning background, I insist on <laughs> learning everything on my own <laughs> and then finding the expert. And I think that comes from the training, perhaps, at Columbia, from website coding until I realized that I, I, I learned up to the point where I could do it. Um, so every day and every new idea we have, we kind of start from scratch and try to to build that know-how and then and then find that expert that could potentially execute that for us. Yeah, and I think for us too, we're not just you know doing research on queer theory, we're not just doing sort of advocacy or social justice, but we are consider ourselves a design practice as well. And everything that we do, even sometimes it feels like you're just doing like sort of activism, LGBT activism, we try to ground everything we do in architecture and design because those are our backgrounds and not we try not to step too far outside of that mission. And so every project we do, our goal is to create actual design and design resources to sort of not overstate our expertise. We're not health professionals or know, as saying we know the best thing for a, a gender nonconforming person in a bathroom, but we know how we can create space or mm-hmm. tools for designers to be better advocates. There's there's a trade-off between designing a building right. in the way that you want it to be designed versus activating a community and coming up with resources, which then lets so many more people design in the way that you think design should happen. If you truly want space everywhere to change, 
you need to impact beyond a single building that you're able to design. So how do you do that? You have to set aside your desire, perhaps, to design that one building in particular in return for impacting the design of a bunch of others. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's sort of why we focus a lot on for coated plumbing the toolkit which it will be like CAD blocks for people to use say as like plugging in a gender inclusive bathroom instead of the one you got from your friend where you just plug in that standard bathroom in your project and we mostly think students will kind of use them and that creates conversation in school and then that will sort of go into their professional practice and those conversations will sort of spread and happen. And If those CAD blocks start getting used, you could walk into a bathroom that, that you, in a sense, design. Exactly. And that's like Not way more... Back to my yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You are an architect. Exactly. Yeah. In terms of Q-Space, what is the biggest issue in architecture through the lens of Q-Space that needs to be addressed? I'd say there's two, but I think... In some ways, it's sort of a culture, of an office culture, a masculine culture. I think there's a study in England about willingness to come out in the office. I think there's something that should be done like that in, in the U.S. We'd be surprised if you get outside of New York City or Los Angeles. The barriers to being open and out in the office are, are still a huge issue, and I think it comes from a history of architecture viewed in a certain light in terms of gender and sexuality. Like if you Google gay architect, the first hit will be an Archonnect form from like 2009 speculating on the sexuality of various architects. Um, So that's something that we're trying to tackle, like sort of a culture. Um, I think that a lot of women architects have sort of done and challenged and I think we're trying to sort of follow in that path. But I guess in terms of design, I think consideration of inclusivity in space and I think talking to people and knowing who you're designing for and the kind of various needs of different communities that are being designed for. And just, I think the bathroom is a great example of something that you probably don't, don't even consider as having an impact. So we're trying to kind of find those things that do have an impact. I think another one is youth homelessness is disproportionately LGBT. And so there are certain things where you could have more of an advocacy role as a designer in those spaces too. And are you connecting back to Columbia in some way, even though now you've graduated, uh, it's two years now? Yeah, we think, I think we're all still very connected to Columbia, not just through being in this space, but there's been sort of mentorship from some faculty and staff, and we have people reach out to us from Columbia still, and we know that if we need recommendations for things, for grants and all that kind of stuff, I think we feel very connected and we talked to David um, and Augustine after sort of an exit interview for the space. And I think for us, we hope to stay involved with not just the school, but the incubator and be able to offer mentorship because it is such a unique experience being here. And I think there's certain things that we wish we had known um, to take advantage of or to sort of like focus our, our energy on. And so. So that's a good point in terms of how do you improve an incubator space now that you've gone through the program and been here a while? What are some things that you think really were, uh, what are some things that you think, well, maybe they should try uh, some new things out? I mean, I almost wish we had this kind of conversation more frequently mm-hmm. uh, where maybe we were put together uh, with people that we hadn't really engaged with as much throughout you know, the last month or, or ever. I think that could be a great addition to this incubator. As architects, we're always kind of 
heads down and focused on the projects. But I think the moments that we were taken out, I think really interesting things happened. So I think in some ways I understand the, the mantra of allowing a, a loose structure. I think that is also very architectural. But I also think when we're in school and the way I teach my class is that sometimes I just pair students up that may not have even thought of working together because their projects are so different and just seeing what might emerge from that. And I think those are some of the positive things that could come out of an incubator that could be controlled from a top level. Yeah, in terms of the atmosphere of the space and how it was to actually work here, I'm absolutely one of the, those people to blame. I actually had a full-time job until January, and so it's quite empty here. And uh, on, on one hand, you know, I said before I complained about the noise. <laughs> yeah, which way do you yeah, want it? <laughs> well, it's an architectural problem. But uh, then, on the other hand, you know, I spent... Uh, so many hours here totally by myself, I mean, which is evenings and weekends. I guess it's it's finding a balance of the people that come in and it's probably hard to really get out of people and know because also we're in New York and people constantly take on new jobs and leave, but to, to kind of create a group that is here in a very steady, you know, in a steady rhythm and kind of creates this feeling of you're surrounded by awesome people and projects that are actually happening in this space and not just in the world of ideas. So that's something that, and I've, you know, I've been in a kind of an impromptu space in Vienna that was just sort of generated by, also by architects in an old factory building, it's very similar in terms of space, it has lived on until then, always new people moving in, and it's also kind of mixed in terms of there's other professions that have moved in, and it was an organically, organically grown space, <laughs> and it felt much more you know, alive in that sense. So I wonder, I'm not so sure about the solution, how to, how to do it, but I think that would be something that would benefit the space. So I've actually always appreciated it when you come in, so it's always like exciting to have you here. And I think it's amazing now you're building buildings and things are under construction, whereas a year ago, when I saw you sitting here, after work or like on random days when you're able, like that change in your professional life is actually really, really big. And I'm only now realizing how big it is because I'm, I'm hearing this whole story, but now I'm remembering like, yeah, you were just sort of at a computer every once in a while and then you didn't seem like a real thing, but I guess you were, you know what I'm saying? But now you've crystallized in a really awesome way. So that's something that you can't get from the incubator until the thing's mm -hmm. over, right? So right. seeing that whole evolution has been kind of cool, but I'm just seeing it today. <laughs> the other thing that I was going to say is I think for architects, what you did in the past year is actually extremely hard to do. I have doubts that there's that many architects in this city who are ready and able to fully launch an architecture firm and sit in this space for 40 hours a week and have work to do. I just think that the way that people launch firms is a little bit more ad hoc and in the nooks and crannies of their schedule until one project comes along and it's very difficult to just sort of quit your job and go sit in an architecture incubator. So that's just, I think, a nature of the profession kind of thing. But it does make for a very, very quiet space on occasion. But I think that the value that you get out of having the space is when you're applying to competitions or stuff, you have this on your address and you have an office and you have something that isn't your apartment and your mm -hmm. couch. So last question to all of you, what's the advice that you would give young graduates who are just graduating from Columbia and are vaguely thinking about starting a practice, what advice would you give them? As somebody who has 
recently done it in terms of, I do think that even then it was such a difficult step to take to leave a secure job and to, and I had one project when I when I left. Now we have two, the second one is actually much bigger and I've gotten so many opportunities. We're actually um, part of the Paris Biennale uh, 2018 as a representation of Slovenia. I feel all these things came through because I was actually suddenly free, you know, and, and open to these opportunities and I think they wouldn't have come otherwise. So I guess the advice is do it. <laughs> I think I agree, and I've been very thankful for GSAP even before this incubator for really the students and the faculty being very supportive of Untap Cities from the very beginning. I remember I was in an urban design class, and the professor there said, please don't make me a PowerPoint presentation. I want you to put it on this website that you created, uh, which was definitely in an early mode of Untap Cities. But... Um, the idea that she was willing to think outside the box for that class and say more people are going to come across this information that you're researching if you put it live on this platform that you've created was really a turning point for me, understanding what I could do with my degree at Columbia, was having that support. And then all the other students got really excited and uh, also contributed articles. And then I would say that I think the tools to create a company are, are all out there, whether it's at Columbia or outside. And New York City is probably one of the best places to do that, though it is very competitive. But I think it's a city where innovation is at its core. So I think we're in, we're in the best place to do that. I guess if you have an idea, just push forward and go for it. Columbia is one of those places, GSAP, where no one's gonna just like offer you anything. If you wanna do something, you have to be self-motivated and asked when, when I started QSAP, I just asked and asked and asked and eventually they gave me money and we just kept asking and pushing and eventually, I mean not eventually, the school was super supportive of that and they've been, continued to be supportive but um, you just have to keep asking and pushing and eventually people will listen to you I guess. Another major piece of advice I'd give especially for incoming incubator members is the incubator is like that too, where their new ink offers a lot of support. We definitely have Augustine who offers a ton of support at GSAP, but there's not structure. And so if you seek structure, or you crave it, ask for it. I think one of the main things I would say that, that would be great for the incubator is having more fa um, faculty involvement, crits. If you want to have a crit for your work to push you for a deadline, ask for it. They will provide it to you. I, I'm sure of it. Because I think a little more structure would be great, but it's not going to exist unless you ask for it. <laughs> First of all, I think it's totally fine if you don't want to go out of school and start your own practice. Like, you're allowed to <laughs> totally. not have your own practice. And I learned a lot of stuff. Not being, in, not being in charge of my schedule, because it actually gave my brain a lot of space to think about other stuff if people are telling you what to do. So that's one thing. I think the other thing, if I were to tell someone who wanted to start a practice something, is um, that you have value and you should be paid for your work and you need to really believe that and you need to believe if you're doing work for free that it's a discount and a gift that has a lot of value to the people you're giving it to. I think that's something that I remember for myself too in a lot of projects but I think you need to believe that you have value and people need to pay for that value and you, you're the person who can do whatever it is you're doing best and people are lucky to have you working with them or for them. And trying to find that confidence is a big thing.
Great. Okay, I want to thank everyone here and thank Columbia and GSAF for the opportunity to have this discussion. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thank Thanks. You. This podcast was produced by Columbia GSAP in collaboration with ARC Daily. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu. Thank you.